When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a prospect, writer, and analyst, as well as the co-founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we have a really good player interview. I teased it on Monday and really excited for you to check this one out with Brewers outfield prospect Joey Weimer. And I'll spoil it. I mean, Joey Weimer is going to be a top 100 prospect on our list when we update that in the next couple weeks. And it's because he's just really darn good. And I mean, you'll hear more about what he did this past season, but a little bit of a primer for what Weimer did in his first professional season after being selected in the fourth round out of the, out of the University of Cincinnati in 2020, Weimer just demolished baseballs this past season between low A and high A in 109 games, as I mentioned in the podcast. 296, 403, 556 slash line, 27 homers, 30 stolen bases. He does a little bit of everything. He can play both corners. He can play center. And he takes a lot of pride in his athleticism, which translates into the box. He's one of the more unconventional hitters you'll see. You can see some of that and hear him break down his swing a little bit by clicking the link in the description once you're done listening to this episode, where Joey and I, after this interview, went and just talked some hitting on YouTube and over some of his videos, and he explained some of the thought process he goes through in at-bats. I I pulled some of my favorite at-bats from him that I saw in the year. Also, he walked us through a couple of his walk-off home runs because he hit two in one week, which is insane as well. I mean, Weimer has all of the goods to be a fantastic baseball player, and he's also got it between the ears, as you can tell from this interview. I mean, a really simple approach to the game, even though it might not look like it when he's at the plate. He keeps it really simple mentally, uh, but he's a very smart player at the same time. It's balancing being thoughtful and having a plan and a good idea at the plate without overthinking and digging yourself a hole. Weimer has struck that balance just in a really, really good way. And I think that's why we saw him translate so well to professional baseball and really take his game to the next level. It was just fascinating to hear things even about how high A was easier for him because guys threw more strikes and he was able to just have his simple approach 
translate better in an area where guys have more of an idea where they're throwing it instead of the effectively wildness that you see in low A. Just so much insightful information from Joey Weimer. Funny guy who's not afraid to tell it like it is and a guy I always enjoy interviewing, so I think you will enjoy listening to it. Already looking like one of the big steals from the 2020 draft and one of the best prospects now in this Brewers system. Here is Brewers outfield prospect and one of the most rapidly rising names in the prospect world, Joey Weimer. Man, I mean, one of the hottest hitters of the entire season last year, Joey Weimer. Joey, great to talk to you again. And once again, congrats on just an unbelievable season last year. No problem. Thanks for having me. I feel like I just have to start with like the super surface level basic question of just how was the season for you, man? I mean, 27 jacks, 30 stolen bases. Did you expect to be flirting with 30-30 going into your pro debut? I mean, it was just amazing to watch. Yeah, I mean, you always have high hopes for yourself. Um, started the season pretty slow. You know, I was pretty middle of the pack, I'd say. Probably just hitting 240, a couple bumpies. Um, and, you know, kind of just started to figure it out and never looked back. So can you talk a little bit about what figuring it out entailed? Like, what was it that clicked for you? I mean, you were a good college player. Of course, you put up good numbers in the Cape. I mean, there's a reason why you were drafted. But that, like, explosion was just a different notch, right? Just a, just a different level of Joey Weimer that we knew was in there. And that's why scouts were always saying, I mean, the, the tools are there. He's got all the intangibles. But what was it that really clicked for you, like, from zero to 100? Yeah, I, so I think we actually talked about this, um, yeah. you know, the last time we had talked. But it, it was just I was hitting the ball fine. You know, I was making good contact. I was hitting the ball hard. Um, but I was just hitting a lot of ground balls, um, a lot of hard outs. And it was it was really just starting lower in my load, um, just kind of quieting down, you know, a little head movement as well, um, and just getting the ball in the air. And the results came with that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We, we talked about that in the middle of it, right? Like right when you were making the high A jump. And uh, for those that may not have caught that episode on Locked on MLB Prospects, it, it was so cool to, to talk to you during that. And now looking back at it, though, you know, that was one of those things where you're tearing up low A and the classic, uh, I guess, statement that always comes with it is like, OK, well, let's see him do it at the next level. And yeah. so you go up to high A and you're even better. Was it 13 home runs and 30 something games? Uh everything stayed consistent across the board in terms of your numbers. You just continued to mesh. What was the big adjustment? I mean, obviously you didn't have much of an adjustment period going from low A to high A. Was there any difference for you jumping up that level uh, in terms of what you saw pitch wise, what you were seeing? Obviously the numbers were fine. So or, or better, but was there any adjustment that you had to make at the plate? Yeah, no, I honestly was more comfortable hitting um, at high A. And I, I think, you know, I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, actually. I, I feel like I had more of a, an idea of what they were trying to do to me. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in low way, there was, you know, the stuff was the same at both levels. You know, the guys are gross, right? Um, but in, in low way, there's a lot of times where, you know, you'd get a ball at your eyes, um, and then the next pitch is accidentally dotted low and out. And so mm-hmm. you had no idea really what's going on. Um, in high A, I felt like there was more control. Um, so I had more of an idea of what they were trying to do. Um, and that just, uh, I was more comfortable with the plate that way. That's like the effectively wild. Uh, type. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that makes sense because I've heard that before, uh, but at the end of the day, you talk about it. Guys are so gross now that 
uh, for some hitters, when guys start to be able to command those secondaries, it's it's a lot to to overcome in high A once you make that jump. You say that you you were able to kind of understand how guys were going to attack you. How was that? Because you were somebody that really was, I'm assuming every time you were playing somebody, the pitcher and the catcher are talking about how the heck are we going to get Joey Weimer out because nobody was doing it for most of the year. Uh, wh- what did you notice and how they were attacking you as a hitter or trying to get you out? Um, a lot of off speed. Uh, and I, I guess I still don't really understand because, I mean, if you look at my splits, like I hit off speed fine. Um, so I, honestly, I was able to just, you know, sit on it a lot. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, not that you're guessing pitches, but, and like I talked about having a plan, I, I feel like I knew I was going to get a lot of it. And I, I was, um, so just, just going with that. I'm really excited to go over that with you too, because at the end of the episode, we we're going to go through a couple ABs where I'm, that was what stood out to me was the approach pitch to pitch. I was trying to put myself in your shoes going through some of these ABs. Like, what would I be looking for here? What would I be looking for here? And I was just so amazed at your ability to adjust to the breaking ball and counts that you might not expect it in or or a, a weird, unique sequence where a guy doubles up on the breaking ball, goes to the fastball, and you're still able to react there. How, how do you find the balance of knowing you can hit everything without getting caught in between, right? Because you have the confidence of being able to hit all different types of offerings, but at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, other guys may have to guess a specific pitch and hunt that specific pitch. How do you know that you can kind of hit everything but without getting caught in between all of those pitches? Yeah, to me, that's just, you know, going in the box and competing. Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, it does matter your cage work and everything. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, when you get in the box, it's you versus the pitcher. Um, so it, it it's just – you know, see the ball out of the hand and hit it. And, and that's my thought process when I hit is I'm not thinking about, you know, how I'm loading my back scap or, you know, what I'm doing in the swing. It's just going out there and competing, uh, you know, hit the ball hard and run. How often do people talk to you about your unique hitting mechanics? How, how often is that brought up to you about the way yeah. you walk the box? Yeah, I get it a lot. And it's funny. And, you know, it's even funnier with the, the Twitter hitting gurus. Um, you know, my, my funk and unorthodox, it, it, it's who I am. It's, you know, how I hit, it's what I do. So it, it's all, it's fun to me. I've noticed that, man. Like I've noticed a incoming wave of Twitter hitting gurus and, yeah. and Instagram and everywhere. What, what has been your experience with the hitting guru saying like, this just is my swing sucks. It'll never work. Every level I go, it's, it's going to get worse. And okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, did, did you see the uh, there was a, a Twitter thread? I think it was a couple of days ago about the the dude talking about Mike Trout swing. Yeah, yes, that yeah. Was, that, that's a prime example. That was the funniest thing ever. That was you know, that, it's, a, it's a pitching machine swing. He's going to hit one fifty, and I was I was cracking up. Like that has to be validating for you, right? I mean, like yeah, if, yeah. if people are going after Mike Trout swing, uh, you just have to know, like it, it just yeah. Is. But I've noticed that because. Uh, one of my one of my close friends, Griffin Conine, is is the biggest swing junkie ever, and he's always mm-hmm. sending me you know videos and accounts and stuff. And I think it messed with my algorithm. So now on different social media stuff, I get a lot of these hitting guru accounts, and I'm like, these guys yeah. don't, they don't get it. Like there's it's not cookie yeah. cut. And yeah. for you, you're proving it, right? Like you're proving that it's not cookie cut. But the thing is, is I feel like you achieve all of the same things that every other good hitter is trying to achieve, which is. You talk about getting that weight into your backside. You talk about being, you know, more in your legs and lifting. Like, 
aren't those all things that that hitters try to do just in different ways? Yeah. How, how do you get into yeah. that? And, and everyone works different. Um, at the end of the day, you know, hitting is about being on time. Pitching is about getting a hitter off his timing. Like, you can have the world's best swing. If you're late, you're late. You know, if you're out front, you're going to roll over. Like, just, just being on time and competing. So how are you on time with all of that going on? Because that's the, that's the reason why I think people may say, oh, it doesn't work because it wouldn't work for them. You know, it's, yeah. it's something that like if, if, if I'm trying to do that, I'm not going to be able to time it up because I'm not athletic enough to do that. Or, you know, just also just the way I hit that wouldn't be able to work for me, but it works for you. When did you start kind of hitting that way? And why do you think it works for you so well? Yeah, I've always been funky. Um, you know, like early high school, I had, had a really open stance, went to a leg kick, lost it, went to college, big leg kick, cut down the leg kick. Now I got a toe tap. Like I, I've been all over the board with it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, once I get into my hitting slot, you know, if you take a picture of it, I look the same as everybody else. Um, my launch positions. Now I am a little more spread out. Um, but again, it, it's just how you get there. Um, and then once you're there, you know, it, it's hitting. Talking about hitting breaking balls and you were saying how, how you saw a lot more of them and, and the numbers are, are pretty, pretty crazy across the board. I mean, fastballs, 1100 OPS, breaking balls, nearly a 900 OPS, which is fantastic. I mean, most guys in the minors are, you know, that's the big, that's the big gap. And then changeups, you also hit really, really well. What do you attribute that to? Is that being able to, to stay back? more easily because of the adjustments you've made uh, with being a little bit wider? Like, how are you able to adjust pitch to pitch? And even if you're fooled, be able to stay back and drive the ball? Yeah, I um, I wish I had that like answer 100%. Um, but I think it's just, you know, seeing the ball out of the hand well um, and just doing what I need to do physically to get there. Um, and that's kind of just all, you know, natural reactions. It's funny because some of the best hitters, they can't really explain. It. Don't know what you do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they say Mickey Mantle yeah. could never tell you how to hit a baseball. He, he yeah. Just... No, it, it's funny because I talk to guys in the cage all the time. Um, you know, like, you know, what do you think about when you do this? I'm like, Dude, I don't know. I, I just hit. <laughs> well, sometimes I think it's, it's become – and hitting is so hard now. You talk about how guys are gross in low A. They're gross in high A, and it gets worse and worse uh, for hitters the higher you go. But that's kind of resulted in a lot of people, I think, overthinking, right, and trying to micromanage yeah. every move. And that's and that's you know that's why I'm big on you know the mindset I have is like they have controllables as a pitcher. Like you're the one throwing the ball, you're controlling what happens. As a hitter, you're reacting. So if I'm trying to think about his four pitches and his eight approaches he has to a hitter, like I'm gonna overthink. And at the end of the day, like it, it's going to cause me harm as opposed to just, you know, OK, me versus you. Like, let's go. That That's the best point there. And on the defensive side, you know, that's that's something that we talked about it when you were on the podcast a, a little while back about, you know, maybe getting a little bit of run in center. You're a good athlete, predominantly playing in the corners. How did you see any difference or did you see any difference uh, on the defensive side in terms of the way the bat or the ball comes off the bat? Uh in the outfield, was that any different for you going into pro ball and then going up to high A in, in terms of just reads and stuff out there? No, I feel like outfields, it's all the same everywhere. Um, you know, I take pride in my defense, but 
I think about defense less than I think about how I hit. Like for me, playing outfield is you know you got to know your situations as base runners, but like balls in the air, go get it. It's on the ground, get it, throw it in. Like it's just simple. No, because that's another thing where like you look at scout write ups and you look at stuff like that. It's about like the reads, the routes, the jumps, all of those things. Again, that's one of those things you just just reps. Like, how, how do you feel like you've gotten better and better with with those reads and routes? Because uh, you said you take pride in the defense, but again, yeah. without, without overthinking it and all of those things, because that's as reactionary as it gets too. Yeah, and, and a big thing for me with becoming a good outfielder um, is really like, and, and what I would tell young outfielders um, or someone coming up wanting to get better in the outfield, like, take BP seriously. Like, that's would be my number one thing because like you can take as many machine fly balls and you know, coach hit fly balls as you want. But if you're not seeing live reads off the bat, you're not going to get any better doing it. So just, I don't know, having fun um, and going hard in VP like that, you'll get so much better defensively. I love that. I love that because, you know, you, you always see the the fungos on the side during VP, you know, in high school or whatever it is. I think they might even do it in college too. And yeah. really the, the, the best reps you can get is off that live bat. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You get different spins. I mean, Anything coach now I understand infielders taking it, but like outfielders, any you know, fungo outfield you're gonna get, it's all the same backspin tossed up, like same flight pattern. But in the game that you're gonna get so many different side spins and backspins and top spins and you know, inside out swings. So like just seeing everything, um, and having a good idea where the ball is gonna end up, like just I don't know, take that seriously. So something that stuck with me last time we talked, I was asking you about the stolen bases because uh, you had stolen 22 in low A around the time we talked. And early in the season, they had some weird rules as it pertained to holding guys on and things like that. And I'm pretty sure, pretty sure you're like, oh, I didn't even really pay attention to that. I was just stealing. Yeah. Um, and they end up walking back those weird rules about pickoffs and all those things by the second half of the season. And you were in high A at that point too. And you swiped eight more bags on 10 tries, giving you 30 stolen bases on the air. I mean, you're a good runner, of course. I mean, you're fast. You got long strides. You get to where you need to go quickly. But I don't think anybody was saying, oh, Joey Weimer, yeah, yeah, the guy that's going to steal 30 bags next year. Like, I don't know if that was ever the expectation. I don't say I don't say that in a uh, you know negative way, in any, in yeah. any way. But, like, it was a surprise, and it's a really it was really cool to see. Uh, were you expecting that to be a part of your game? And uh, – when did you start realizing like, Hey, I can start just swiping bags a little bit more than I thought. Yeah, no, I, and that's another funny thing about, you know, so my reports is my speed's going to regress. I don't even know what that means in terms of like how you can tell, but whatever. Um, <laughs> no, that's, that's my favorite. Is the 50 no, yeah. present run 45 future future. Yeah. You, know, I, you can uh, predict how his body. like ages. Right, Yeah. Like I'm going to get slower. Um, now maybe when I'm like 35, I'll probably start slowing down, but, back to the point um <laughs> no i i've always been a, a base dealer um and that's something else i pride my game on is you know being good on the base paths uh, i think you know my junior year of college um we got cut short so i can't mm-hmm. claim any numbers there but my sophomore year i think i was like 21 of 23 or something yep um so i i've always been you know someone that can run um so i don't know i think i think that'll that'll stay up um i think i'll always be a base dealer you know until until i'm not yeah, what's interesting is we've seen that become a little bit more antiquated in the game today where you, you just don't see players running as much. But, you know, if you're able to have that success rate like you had of, of about 80 percent or better, statistically speaking, it's still worth it. 
for you, are you picking pitches to run on, more situations to run on, a little bit of both? Because we see some guys in the big leagues that aren't fast, like not even nearly as fast as you are, but will pick up 10, 15 bags a year just on situationally running. Uh, how much of that do you do or, or how much of it is just picking the right spot uh, in terms of pitch or just situation? Yeah, I'm a big situational guy. Um, and, you know, like I said, I, I know I could run. Um, I'm not a six two six three runner by any means. Um, but just knowing when it's time uh, and not even situation like during the game, but just the pitcher. I mean, if someone's got a good move and they're one, one, I'm staying at first. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Um, but, you know, they're a little lazy with it. And even if they're pretty quick, but aren't, you know, they don't have a good move or, you know, run on the catcher a lot, they're spiking something like, and, and counts are a big one too. Like, I mean, okay, it's 0-2, he's going to go high fastball. Okay, now he's going to spike one, you know, run here. So it's just it's just knowing, you know, when to go. Uh, absolutely. And that's the thing that's become so in vogue in baseball now is, is the high fastball. Was that something that you were surprised about a little bit? Every guy I've talked to hitting-wise are like so many high spin fastballs elevated. I know you said you got a lot of breaking balls, but did you feel like that was something that, that was definitely an obvious trend uh, through minor league oh, yeah. The high spin meters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I struggled with at the beginning of the year, uh, chasing up. So lowering my sights uh, was big for me too. Um, but yeah, a, a lot more. You get a lot more high fastballs and low fastballs, which is, I guess, the new normal. But it seems kind of crazy. Can you expand it on that a little bit about how you were able to adjust your approach to that? Because you said you know, kind of leaving it up there. How often are those, if you leave it, called for a strike versus do you, do you feel like the percentages are in your favor where if you don't pull the trigger, it's probably going to be a ball up and you just wait to see something down? Yeah, um, most of the time it's called a ball up. Um, so you just got to see something down. But that that was a big, you know, just getting over the ego of thinking you can hit it. Because like, <laughs> like I said, at the beginning of the year, I was chasing it every time. It looks so good out of the hand. You know, I, I think I have good hands. I can get there. And then, you know, finally I was like, dude, what am I doing? Like, just don't swing at it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah just just getting back to getting the pitches, you know, I can handle better. Um, and, you know, if, if it's something I need to hit at the top of the zone for a strike, okay, I will. But, like, just leaving that, leaving the high and up, like, just let it go. It's the hardest pitch to hit, you know, I think, right? I mean, obviously a well-executed changeup is probably the most difficult. But would you say that that riding fastball – that is right at the top of the strike zone. That's got to be one of the hardest pitches to get to. Yeah, no, it, it's a good pitch. Um, <laughs> and like I said, it, it looks really good until it's not. Until it's uh, not. But it, yeah, it, it's a good pitch. So you had a brief cameo in the fall league and did just more of the same, which was in nine games hitting 467, 568, 667. Uh, you said before we started recording that it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool areas in the fall league that teams are in cool spots. Uh, the fields are nice. Uh, it's a lot of different players from all over the map just looking to get some extra extra run. Uh, you were fantastic for those nine games. What was that experience like? And then also I want to ask you about how the ball carries out there because I've heard mixed things yeah. about that, and I want to see what, you, what, what your thoughts are. Yeah, no, it was awesome. Um, really good clubhouse, you know, really good guys, uh, a lot of talent, a lot of fun, great fields, great environments. Uh, we were out in Scottsdale. Yeah, there you um, go. So that – yeah, you couldn't ask for a better place to be. Um, but, yeah, I loved every second of it out there. Um, it, the ball carried well. Uh, we were using, you know, big league balls and you know, out, in, out in the desert. So 
you can't really ask for a uh, better combo. Yeah, that was what I really wanted to ask too because I was, I was kind of sure that it was big league balls. How different do the big league baseballs feel off the bat versus the uh, minor league balls? I didn't realize it until like you pull up the data and exit velos because there were some balls like I, I think I hit probably three or four balls like 110 um, and I didn't think I hit them that hard. So like it, yeah, I feel like they're just more jumpy. Um, but we were also using those after like two weeks, those like newer tack balls they were trying. Um, and I like those a lot. It's wild how just the, the change in baseballs can, can make such a big difference uh, for, for the way the bat or the ball just flies off the bat. And that's why I think a lot of people are saying, you know, maybe take the Arizona fall league stats with, with a grain of salt. But at the same time, you still got to hit the baseball, right? I mean, it, it's yeah, it, I, I, I don't really understand that. Like, angry. the arms out there are gross, <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's the arms, and people were saying, like, oh, the you know, the arms aren't as good as previous years. I'm, I'm watching, I'm like, there's some dudes out here, man. Like, yeah. I, I feel like environment's important, right? But unless you're playing at like massive altitude, I feel like it doesn't make that that big of a difference. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously, some balls are going to carry out more than others, but if you're hitting at 110, what's the difference if it was 107 instead? I mean, yeah. that ball's still going, right? Yeah, and, and again, back to, like, the stats out there, you can't really look into them. Like, it's such a small sample size. But, like, I don't understand trying to discredit somebody for hitting well out there when, like, the the, the guys are they're gross. You know, the arms are gross. Um, it, it's a tough place to hit. Now, I know it was um, pretty hitter-friendly this year, but, I mean, there were some dudes hitting, too. So it was just a great combo. Your team was extremely talented uh, on top of yourself. You had some other, you know, big name prospects that had great years. Who stood out to you in terms of just is some of these guys you don't get to cross paths with, which is the cool part, right? They're different levels, different leagues. Mm-hmm. And now you get to see some guys that you, maybe you didn't see hit much. Who stood out to you on your Arizona Fall League team that could swing? Yeah, obviously Torque. Um, he only oh, got yeah. to play a couple of games, but like just watching his BP, like he is such a good pure hitter outside of, you know, hitting whatever it's however many pumpies he's going to hit in his career um but another guy that i never got to see that you know it looked really good at the plate was Beatty. um i like i said never got to see him but he he's a pure hitter um there was there was a lot of guys i could go on about but it was it was fun to be a part of that lineup what about on the pitching side uh you know there was a lot of a lot of guys that were reliever types which kind of sucks for you because it's like the power reliever just a lot of power arms yeah yeah (laughs) Like guys that just needed more innings and the yeah. reliever types that were coming out and, and pumping. And then he had like the Owen Whites of the world who hadn't pitched in forever and comes back and looks like he, you know, was just coming off of a, a Cy Young season. Uh, he had some really nasty guys out there. I think there was just a wide range of guys kind of rehabbing almost, using it as, as an opportunity to come back. And then guys that were just like fresh and just needed more innings. And he yeah, had a just throwing a hard amount of bowling balls. Yeah. What, what stood out to you the most? Was there anybody that, you're like, holy crap, who, who is this guy? This is nasty. Because you don't get scouting reports, right? Yeah, no, no scouting reports. I mean, a little bit of pregame video, but, like, it's just going out there pretty fresh and just hitting. Um, one guy that stood out to me that, you know, it's, he's not, like, a sleeper prospect, um, but someone that I hadn't got to see was Landon Mack. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, was, he was legit, you know, really, really good command, really, really good stuff, and just, you know, he's a, he's a pitcher on top of how gross his stuff is. I can't. I can't remember. We're gonna go through the at bats on, uh, you know, on the uh, end of this, on the back end, going over a couple of your abs to take us through your approach. 
I know that Landonac, the land, there was a Landonac AB I was looking at, but I don't know if we ended up sticking that one in there. But there's there's a couple of really good ABs from the Arizona Fall League, one from the season that I'm excited to go over with you. But I also have to mention, you got the flag behind your right shoulder, the Cincinnati Bearcats, where you yeah. play ball, and you got an awesome shirt that says, "How about them Bearcats?" How was this season for you watching the football team, you know, make it all the way to, to the playoff? Obviously not the, not the finish you, you would have wanted, but I mean, I think anybody would take that. I grew up a University of Miami fan. Hell, I'd take that season every day of the week. Yeah, no, it was it was awesome um, to just kind of get to experience that. I actually got to go to the game in Dallas. Oh, no um, way. So that, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, they had a, a hell of a year. Yeah, that was – I've never been there. Um it was different. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. What about on the track, like on the road in the minor leagues so far? Do you, have you had a favorite spot that you've you've stopped so far? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like there was any like away place. Um, I really enjoyed my time in Carolina. Um, really enjoyed my time in Wisconsin too. Uh, but honestly, probably probably Carolina. And going back to Cincinnati, where. The team, you guys had success in 2019, correct? Winning the conference that year. Mm-hmm. How was that season finishing up there? You guys had a good ball club. There's a, there's a lot of history there, but but history is the key word. You guys had not made the NCAA tournament since 1974 prior mm-hmm. to you know, getting there in 2019. What was that year like? And uh, excuse my ignorance on, on the ball club. Did, did you guys have a lot of guys returning for 2020? Did you feel like you had a chance to get back there uh, when the season was cut short? Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, that 2020 team was nearly just as good as that 2019 team. Um, but, yeah, that, that 2019 run was awesome. Um, we had a pretty solid year, and then, you know, come tournament time, we were as hot as we could be. Um, and then we kind of just ran into, you know, that Michigan squad who ended up going to the finals. Yeah. Um, but it, it was it was fun. It was really, really fun to be a part of. Uh, we were – I mean, we were up, I think, 4-1 like the sixth or seventh of that Michigan game too. Um, but, you know, always looking back at it, could have been better. Still a great finish. And, I mean, there's a lot of uh, alumni that – and I don't know if people realize that Cincinnati has, has some big-time alumni, and I think you're going to be one of those those notable names on the list as, as we look down the road. But there had not been somebody drafted as high as – or even in the top five rounds since Ian Happ in 2015. Uh, so – Going through your recruiting process, where where did you where else did you look? How did you decide on Cincinnati? And beyond that, did you feel like you still would have had a chance at Cincinnati? Yes, there, there's a really good alumni and history there, but it had been a little bit of time since someone had been drafted in in, in the first five rounds. Yeah, um, I I don't know. I just I really liked um, how everything played at Cincy. Uh, it's like a good distance from home, probably three and a half hours. Um, far enough to be away, but close enough to get back whenever. Um, and just, I, I like the facilities a lot. Uh, it was probably my best um, financial opportunity with baseball as well. So everything kind of just, you know, played out perfectly there. Some other notable alumni, and ironically, Kevin Euclid, who yeah. probably got his fair share of, you know, flack for the way he hit. And I think he did just fine. Yeah, I think um, anybody ever bring that up to you? Like, oh, like you went through the same thing. No, I, I haven't really talked about it. Um, the the you comparison, um, just hitting wise. Uh, but he's he's been back around a lot. He's a really good dude. Um, he talked to us actually before that 2019 final. 
um, when we were in where we were at Oregon State. Uh, so he's around. He's always at the golf outing. Um, really good dude. That was going to be my other question because one of my other favorite big leaguers is Josh Harrison, and and Josh Harrison's another guy I didn't know went to Cincinnati. Have you seen him or Ian Happ ever come around? Um, I have. I got to see Harrison. Um, he came and talked to the banquet once, uh, but I have not got to see uh, Happer. Yeah, I mean that's pretty cool. The alumni, you just you look at any big school and you, you're like surprised at how many guys just come out of there. And then of course Sandy Koufax. Is there like signage on Co- on Koufax like everywhere, all over? With yeah, uh, he's. I mean, he's in a couple of pictures and like Lindner and stuff. Uh, so <laughs> that, that's really cool. Got to ask you too about the Super Bowl. So I mean. You, you told me before we recorded you're not necessarily a diehard Bengals fan, but you're a Bengals fan moving forward. For the time being. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? That's it for the time being. For the no, time I gotta, being. Gotta right? stay true to my Lions, but for the stay, time being, I'm a Bengals fan. Tough year for the Lions. Um, how do we feel about Dan Campbell? I love him. I, I <laughs> He's think, the man. Yeah, he, his energy is amazing. So um, I, I like him moving forward. You know, hopefully the Lions can be good one day, <laughs> but who knows about that? Well, I mean, Cincinnati, you got to have a lot of friends really amped up for the Super Bowl. What's your pick there? Um, it's I'm going to get crucified for saying this, but I think I want to see the Rams win more just Ooh. because, well, I'm a huge Stafford fan. True. You just said Lions. He, he's, he, yeah, he's gotten so much hate his entire career for, you know, not winning, but he was in Detroit. Yes. He had so, no yeah, so I'm I'm really excited. You know, I'm gonna be stoked if the Bengals win too. But I, I think I want to see. I think I want to see Stafford do it more. I'm in the same boat. I, I think this has to be the most likable QB matchup ever. Uh, where yeah, no, I agree with that. You're happy either way. So uh, excited, excited to see how that shakes out too. But to wrap up on the on the podcast side before we jump on and uh, go over some video real quick, uh, I just wanted to talk about next year, right? I mean, you, you couldn't have had a better first season. I know now, knowing you, now that this is the second time we've done an interview, I'm not going to ask you like what your thoughts are in terms of how you're going to adjust to double A, because I know you're going to say a lot yeah. of things, right? <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But yeah. in terms of approach, I think that's something that you can always feel out and, and get better at and, and just continue to be more educated on, on how you're going to be attacked, like you were talking about in high A. Double A pitchers are a little bit more advanced. Uh, have you talked to any guys that played – at that level about, you know, what you might see, what the differences are, what that big jump is like. Uh, and, you know, I know you're not going to change your game, but just mentally, is there anything that, you know, you're expecting or getting mentally prepared for to make that big jump? Cause that's kind of the last big jump before the bigs. Yeah. And I'll need to feel it out at first. I mean, I'll, I'll probably have my cookie cutter. Someone's probably going to go hard and soft away a lot, a lot of, um, until I, you know, start to get a feel for, you know, what they're trying to do to me. Um, but as of right now, it's just, I don't know, just getting my off-season work in, getting myself best prepared physically, um, and just, you know, figuring them out and hitting it. I mean, I, I admire your approach so much because I was through high school the biggest overthinker when it comes to hitting, you know, and, and I know a lot of people that, that end up thinking themselves into a hole, and sometimes it needs to just be as easy as see ball, hit ball, especially when you got the, the physical tools that you have, Joey. I mean, I'm, I'm so amped to see what you're going to do this coming season. Uh, always rooting for you through the way. And as I said before we started recording, I would check in every couple of weeks or you know, every week or so. Like, all right, what are Joey's stats now? Like, let's see how he's doing. 
just naturally expecting you to be like a normal human and have like a 900 OPS or something. And it just wouldn't stop. It was one of the more amazing things I've seen. We're going to go over the specific swings. And for those that are listening to the podcast, the link will be in the description to go over to the YouTube video to see uh, Joey talking about how he just sees the ball and hits it. But there'll be a little bit more than that uh, because we have some really cool ABs where he, he works some good counts and puts some good swings on balls. But Joey, thanks so much for taking the time on the podcast side. And uh, let's talk some swings. Thanks, good. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.